Well, my message today is entitled, Come to Jesus. Do you know that there were 613 commands in the law of Moses for the Jews to follow? Not only was it an impossible task to follow all of them completely, but just think of how hard it would be just to know all the laws and to try to understand what all of them mean. You see, we're always trying to sum up our expectations or our requirements to make it easier for us to understand and prioritize. So when a similar question was asked of Jesus, He brought the 613 commands down to just two great commands. Matthew 22, start in verse 36. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest command of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The law can be summarized into two basic areas of emphasis. The first area is to love the Lord your God with all that is within you. But this is more than just lip service. It's more than going to church once a week. And more than simply saying that you're a Christian. To truly love Him as your Lord means that He's Lord of your life. He's Lord of your finances. He's Lord of your relationships. Lord of your thought life. Lord of your words. Lord of how you spend your time. And Lord of your actions. If He is indeed Lord of our lives, then we should have an open avenue to Him at all times to listen to Him, to talk to Him, to talk about Him, and to filter everything that we receive and perceive in this world through the lens of knowing Him. If we truly love Him with all of our inmost being, then we should be so close to Him that even when we fall, and we all do, but that even when we fall, we immediately repent and come to Him. If we truly love Him, we should expect the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to convict us, to encourage us, to build us up, and to challenge us at all times in every situation. It also means that we are willing to listen and respond to His promptings. If we truly love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then He will be constantly in our thoughts and in our conversations with others to the point where we just can't stop talking about Him. That's where the disciples found themselves. They just couldn't hold it back. They couldn't stop talking about the goodness of God wherever they went. Matthew 22:39, Jesus continues and He says, The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. According to Jesus, the second greatest commandment is to love others and treat others in the same way that we would treat ourselves. And while many would say that what this means is we should be kind and respectful and generous and non-judgmental and compassionate, there's one huge point that's being missed with this interpretation. If we truly loved our neighbors as ourselves, we would make sure that they knew about our first and greatest commandment, since it is the most important commandment for each of us personally. If the greatest thing that we can do for ourselves is to follow this commandment, to love God with all of our inmost being, then the epitome of loving our neighbor as ourselves is to share this love, this importance, this power, this grace, and the salvation of God with our neighbors. Jesus even said, the second is like it. 
which links the two commandments together. In fact, it is clear throughout Scripture that we are commanded to share the Gospel, to share the good news of Jesus with everyone. Not just in church, but out there in the world that needs light in the current darkness. This command is not just for the preacher or the evangelist or the teacher. Since Jesus' command to love the Lord with all we have is for all of us, then His command to share the greatness of our God with others is for all of us to follow as well. Therefore, today, I want to share with you some ways that you can share your faith with others. It's the greatest gift that we've been given. And so we want to share some ways. How, how do you do that? How do you share your faith? So today with Nancy up here, we've created a little simulation to show you what kinds of questions and comments that you might face from others, as well as the biblical truth and explanation for what we believe and why it's absolutely essential for everyone to know these truths. If you don't know, we started a little Bible training school online. And the very first class is how to share your faith. Now, a lot of schools would take you back to the basics of what you know. But by sharing your faith, you begin to learn what you know. And when you can explain it to others, you learn more for yourself. And so I want to, we want to share with you what it's like to, one way to share your faith. I'm going to be using a combination of three different Bible versions and seeking to be as clear as possible and conveying truth to others. So I'm going to have this conversation with Nancy. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Do you mind if I ask you a question? No, go ahead. Okay. When you die, where do you think you will go? I think I'll go to heaven. Okay. And, and maybe you could explain to me, why, why do you think that you'll go to heaven? Well, I believe in God and Jesus and the Bible, and I consider myself to be a fairly good person. I give to people when they have needs, and I... Try to, what I, try to make the world a better place, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do what I can for that. I'm not perfect, but I haven't met anybody that is. So mm-hmm. I figure God's a pretty loving God, and, you know, in the end, I'll go to heaven. Okay, okay. So you say you believe in God, and the Bible is the Word of God, which tells us the truth of God in all things that relate to Him and His kingdom. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Because all people have sinned, they have fallen short of God's glory. You see, the Bible is clear that all people have sinned. We all have sinned. Either in word or in thought or action. Just like you said, no one is perfect. We all sin. But the truth about sin is that it's not just a mistake. We actually fall short of the glory of God. In fact, the Bible is very clear about the consequences of our sins. Romans 6.23 begins by saying the payment for sin is death. You see, God is a perfect God and He can't have any sin in His presence or else it would taint heaven. Therefore, when we sin, our payment or our consequence is death or an eternal separation from God. Well, that's just it. God doesn't stop there. He knows that we all sin and that we're all lost without Him. So God created a way for us to overcome this problem. Romans 6.23 says this, The payment for sin is death, but 
the gift that God freely gives is everlasting life found in Christ Jesus our Lord. The important point here is that Jesus gives a gift of everlasting life. It's not something that we can earn. In fact, no one even deserves this gift. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 tells us that God saves us through faith as an, as an act of kindness. We have nothing to do with it. Being saved is a gift from God. It's not the result of anything you've done. And no one can even brag about it. See, no one enters heaven because of what they do or no one enters heaven because they deserve it. No matter how much good they did here on earth. The only way that any of us enters into heaven is by receiving this gift by faith. Well, John 3.16 tells us this. That God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Why don't you come up here? Okay. God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God sent Jesus to the earth to take the penalty for our sins. In other words, by His death, He took our place and He paid our fine. And now heaven opens to those who have put their faith in Jesus and believe in Him. Well, I already said I believe in Jesus, so I should be all set. Well, what you need to understand is that there's different kinds of belief. Just because you believe that someone existed, it's not the same as believing everything they did or believing everything they stood for and believing why they did what they did. Many people believe in Jesus. In fact, even the devil believes in Jesus. But the devil has already been cast out of heaven and he's never going to get to return there. So what do I need to do then to show I really believe in Jesus? Well, the Gospel of John chapter 14, verse 6 tells us, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the first thing we need to understand is that there's only one way to God the Father. There's only one way to heaven. The only way to God is to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalves. He died for us to pay the penalty of our sins so that we could approach God the Father when we pass from this world. Well, what about all the other religions? I mean, don't they all sort of believe in God? Well, most religions believe in a God or many gods, but not the same one as the God in the Bible. Many religions teach you to do good things, to give to the poor, to take care of others, and to worship God. But Christianity is the only religion that offers a solution to the sin problem that we all have. Just because you do a bunch of good deeds, it doesn't take away your sins. You see, God doesn't put all your deeds on a scale and then just say, well, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. God doesn't do that. Because God is a just God, He has to punish sin. Or else He would no longer be just and good. And so, even one sin can keep you out of heaven. The difference between Christianity and all other religions is that God loved us enough to come to us Himself. Sending Jesus Christ into the world to die for our sins. And when Jesus rose from the dead, He showed us that we too could rise from our sinful state, being completely forgiven of our sins, and receive eternal life with Him. 
Therefore, the only way that anybody can come to God the Father is through Jesus Christ and believe in His sacrifice for our sins personally. So what do I need to do to receive this gift? Well, in Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 19, it says that we need to change the way we think and act and turn to God to have your sins removed. Then times will come when the Lord, from the Lord as He refreshes you. You see, when you truly understand why Jesus came to us and why He had to die to pay for our sins and what happened as He rose from the dead, you begin to understand how much He really loves us, what He was willing to put His life through in order to show His love for us. And He wants us to turn from our selfish thoughts and our ways so that we can turn to Him. The truth is that we all stand guilty before a holy and righteous God. And the Bible already tells us that the wages of our sin is death. We all have sinned. But the Bible also talks about this change called repentance. It means that we need to turn from the ways of the world and turn completely to God so He can forgive us of our sins and refresh us as we spend time in His presence. In fact, if you are feeling convicted right now, even as we are talking, what that means is God is already moving on your heart right now calling on you to come to Him, saying, I want to take that burden off your shoulders. I want to forgive you if you're willing to trust Me and turn to Me and trust Jesus with your life. I will tell you that there's such an overwhelming relief to know that your sins have been forgiven. To know that you're no longer, you're no longer staying stuck in your guilt, but you've been forgiven of everything you've done wrong. Think of the guilt that you've carried out through your life of times when you've really messed up, and we all do. But think of how many times you've carried that guilt around and you can't get it off your shoulder and it's with you everywhere you go. But when you come to Jesus and you turn to Him, He forgives you of those sins. It's completely wiped away. This is the beginning of your new life in Him. But then you have to make it known by declaring what we believe. How do you do that? Well, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, it tells us that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I believe Jesus is my Lord and I believe God raised Him from the dead to forgive my sins. I am truly sorry for the things I have done. I want my sins to be washed away. Well, Peter tells us in Acts 2.38 then to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism is an outward sign of what God has already begun doing on the inside of a believer. He asks us to be baptized in front of others so that we can declare in front of others our choice to follow Jesus and trust Him with our lives. And when we come to Jesus and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, this is the Spirit of God who comes to us and lives inside of our hearts to be our constant companion as we commit our lives to following Jesus. What will the Holy Spirit do inside of me? Well, the Bible tells us in John 14:26 that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all things that Jesus said to you. 
It's the Holy Spirit who actually opens your understanding so that you can understand the Bible, the Word of God. Without the Holy Spirit, it's just a book about religious things. But with the Holy Spirit, He's like that common teacher that comes alongside you and opens your understanding so you can actually understand what it says. He brings truth to your mind so it makes sense to you. God knows the way that you receive and the way that you learn, so He opens your understanding so that you can understand His Word, so you can follow it in your life. It's also the Holy Spirit in you that brings conviction to your heart. In other words, He lets you know when you have sinned and when you have missed the mark of God. He brings the problem to your mind, but He also brings the answer. What I mean is that He lets you know that you have sinned against God and others, which causes you to feel guilt. However, He brings with that all the reassurance that God will forgive you when you turn to Him with your guilt. In fact, the first John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us that God is faithful and reliable. If we confess our sins, He forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. The sins are no longer on our account. Our slate has been wiped clean by God. We no longer have to carry that guilt around and become captive to the guilt and guilty feelings. We are sure that as we confess our sins to God in prayer, that He forgives us and cleanses our minds and hearts so that we can continue to press into God and live for Him. Okay, but what about the times when I really mess up? I mean, there's going to be times and like that I just totally blow it. And there's got to be times that God thinks, I just don't want anything to do with them anymore. Listen. If you turn to God with an honest and contrite heart, that you feel bad that you've sinned against Him and you know what you've done is wrong, if you reply to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and turn to God honestly, He is faithful and just to forgive you from everything you have done. In fact, the Bible states that God remembers your sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, He separates your sins from you. Listen, God knows that we're all human. And that we all have a sinful nature inside of us that continually seeks after sin. When we are tired or hurt or upset or preoccupied, that's when many of us blow it and give in to temptation again. Yet God gives us promises that if we continue to come to Him and confess our sins, He will be faithful to forgive us. And as we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and submit to Him, He will strengthen us to become stronger in our faith. And we will become better, not perfect, but we will become better at resisting sin in the future. But not only that. He also gives us a blessed assurance that we can hold on to this promise of eternal life. The Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 28 says, Jesus says, I give them eternal life. They will never be lost. And no one will tear them away from me. You see, Jesus tells us that no one can snatch us out of His hand if we have truly put our trust and our faith and our hope in Him. We need to hold on to this promise every time we feel unworthy, and many, we all do at times we feel worthy, but when that attack comes, we need to hold on to this promise. We must always remember that He calls us to come to Him and to be restored and to be forgiven and to be cleansed of our guilt so that we can continue to follow Him. The truth is that it's the devil that tries to convince you otherwise. The devil tries to tell you that you're really messed up this time. You're a Christian. You shouldn't have done that. How could you do that? God doesn't want you. God doesn't want you. You should have done that. That's the devil that says all those things. These are all lies. 
How do you know that? Like, what assurance do you have that any of this is true? Well, that's exactly it. And God's Word, which is His living Word or expression, in the first John chapter 5, verse 13, we see this fact. It says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You may know that. You don't have to guess or hope or put your bet on what you think is going to happen. If you believe in the name of the Son of God and you feel God speaking to you and convicting you and causing you to turn to Him, you can know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You see, John gives us this truth to stand on. That when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and believe in Him in His name as the Son of God, we may know that we have eternal life. This certainty brings assurance to our hearts and minds that we will continue to believe on His name regardless of what feelings we have. We're not to be led by our feelings because all of us don't feel like God's always around us at times. But the truth is that we can know that we have eternal life when we put our trust in Him. So is that it then? Is that all I need to know about God? Not at all. It's not about saying a prayer. It's not about getting your ticket punched to heaven. It's about a complete overhaul of your thinking and your mind and your actions and your life. You see, throughout the Bible, God gives us clear instructions on what it means to follow Him and trust Him with our lives. In fact, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 tells us to trust the Lord with all our heart. To not rely on our own understanding, because guess what? There's a whole lot we don't know. So to not rely on our own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge Him or know Him, and He will make your paths smooth. As we trust Him with our hearts and seek direction through prayer, not relying merely on our own understanding, God will direct our paths. He will show us His will for our lives. How do I find God's will for my life? Do you really want to know? I do, okay. actually. Well, actually, in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, it's simple. It says this. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, there are things that we can do to put ourselves in a place to be close to God so that He can direct us in life. In short, He tells us to keep a joyful heart and not let negativity rule our thoughts and our conversations. The way we do this is to keep praying. In other words, we keep talking to God throughout the day in our thoughts and in our spoken words to Him. This reminds us that He's always near. He's always ready to hear from us. And it allows us to cultivate our personal relationship with God. What kinds of things should I talk to God about? Well, the whole point of praying continually is that you can talk to God about anything. You can talk to God about your day, what you have need of. You can talk about the good things and you can talk about the bad things. In fact, you can even share your greatest frustrations with God. Oh, I don't think I should really share my anger with God. Why not? God already knows it's there. He's certainly big enough to handle your anger as long as you go to Him instead of going to others or going to social media. In fact, you will find that as you learn to listen to God and talk to God and share your day with Him, you will also learn how to listen to Him. And you will know when He is speaking to you. And you will start to have promptings in your heart and you think, well, I know I didn't say that. That must be God, especially if it lines up with the Word of God. 
You begin to know His voice as He's speaking directly to you, just like I'm sharing with you right now. Then you will hear Him speaking truth to you, calming your fears, comforting your hurts, strengthening your faith, and resolving your anger as you learn to trust Him with whatever you're faced with in life. You will learn to thank Him every day for what He has done, for what He is doing, and for what He will do in your life as you put your trust in Him. And one of the greatest ways that we can begin to know His voice and what He's speaking, speaking to us is by spending time in the Bible, the Word of God. Do I really need to, to read the Bible myself? Like, can I just listen to the pastor tell me what it says? Well, God's speaking directly to you, and so part of the reading the Bible is you're building a personal relationship with God. It's, it's, it's you and God alone. Yes, the, the, the pastor or the teacher can help you, but God wants you to read for Him so He can speak directly to you. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 16, it says that every Scripture passage is inspired by God. All of them are useful for teaching, pointing out errors, correcting people, and training them for a life that has God's approval. They equip God's servants so that they are completely prepared to do good things. You see, the more that you read and study the Bible, the more God will cause you to become like Him. He will cause you to become stronger in your faith so that you can navigate difficult times in life. Because just because being a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to have trials, but it means that God is with you through all those trials. You're never going to feel alone. He's always right there. And so as you spend time in His Word, He's speaking to you and causing you to stand strong in your faith. And also it will enable you to help others who are struggling as well. In addition, the more you press into God, the more you'll want to share with others what He has done in your life. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells us, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, God asks us to revere Him or to sanctify Him, which means to set Him apart in our hearts. In other words, we hold this special place for Him in our hearts and our minds so that we're always ready to share with others how Jesus is essential to our life. He is the hope that we have. Believe me, if you look around the world today, people are looking for hope. They're turning to man and woman. They're turning to movements and, and books and, and teachings. But the hope that we have, we need to be ready to share that because people are desperately in need of hope. What this means is we take Jesus with us wherever we go. We bring Him with us into every conversation, either in our thoughts or our words or our actions. So what about then, if God speaks directly to me through the Bible, what about church? Like, why do I need to go to church? Why can't I just read the Bible for myself? Well, you'll find that once you find a Bible-believing church with like-minded people who are there not to pump themselves up, but they're there to seek God on their own. They're there to grow in their faith. That It'll be very encouraging to you and to them that you're there. When you share with them what God is doing in your life, it's encouragement to all of us to see what God is doing in someone else's life. Listen, church is not about a building, but rather it is the body of Christ or the family of God, those who make up the family of God. You see, people who go to church out of obligation, they miss the central reason why God gave us the command to come together regularly. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, 
tells us we should not stop gathering together with other believers, as some of you are doing. Instead, we must continue to encourage each other even more as we see the day of the Lord coming. The reason we come together is to encourage one another. Because when we go out there in the world, the world beats us down. And the message of the world beats us down and tries to take away our hope. But we have a hope that surpasses all things. And so when we come together and we're lifted up by others and praying for one another and serving one another, it helps us hold on to that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The reason we come together is to encourage one another, to learn about God, to pray for one another, so that we all stay close to the Lord as we prepare for Him to come again. Wait a minute. Jesus is going to come again? Absolutely. This is why we need to continue to encourage one another not to give up hope, not to give in to the world, not to walk away from God. As you consider what is happening in the world today, understand that Jesus said all these things would happen. He predicted all of this or prophesied about all of these things that would happen today with the earthquakes, the wars, the rumors of wars, the pestilences, the pestilences in different places. Jesus said all these things would happen. But He also said that He would come again and take us to our heavenly home. John 14, verses 1-3. through 3. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You see, Jesus is coming back to take all of us to our eternal home. Even now, as the world seems to be falling apart, Jesus is right now preparing an eternal place for everyone who has chosen to turn from their sins and to place their trust in Jesus Christ alone. This is the good news that we share. If we truly love our neighbor as ourselves, then we will not want a single person to miss out on the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.